So it's been a while. Obviously, if you're a fan of the podcast, you're aware of the fact that we haven't had a new episode out for quite some time. First and foremost, I apologize for that. But secondly, I kind of don't because the fact is that's how life goes sometimes. And I've been incredibly busy, but also busy in a wonderful, beautiful way. We've had a lot of really neat things that have taken place over the past month, month and a half. But rest assured that the podcast isn't done and it isn't finished. It isn't going anywhere. It's simply just a matter of really at the end of the day, it's a matter of logistics. I just literally haven't had the time to sit and record and set up interviews and schedule everything that needs to happen. But we're back and we're going to continue. So hopefully you guys will keep listening and subscribing and sharing and all that jazz. So before we get going with anything else for this episode, I have to talk about every man. Uh, I believe I've mentioned it before. If I haven't, now's the time. But go to everyman.co is the website, and it's E-V-R-Y-M-A-N, not E-V-E-R-Y, no, no, E-V-R-Y-M-A-N. So Everyman is an organization started by Dan Doty and Lucas Crump. Their mission is getting a million men in men's groups all across the world. And this past month in August, I got the opportunity to go on the first Everyman expedition, which was a week-long backpacking trip through Yellowstone National Park. It was incredibly profound and amazing and life-changing in so many different ways. I, I, I could spend an entire episode talking about it. Needless to say, it's something that I am incredibly proud of that I was able to go and do, uh, participate in, and some incredible things happened uh, while we were out there in the middle of nowhere. It was amazing. So I won't ramble too long, but go check it out. They also have a podcast. Dan has a podcast called Every Man Podcast. You can go and find that as well on iTunes and Stitcher and Google Play and everywhere, everywhere that podcasts are available. Go listen to that. Go check out their website. And then if you're inspired, get involved. Uh, we're starting up a men's group here in Salt Lake City. Or reach out if you want to come be a part of our group. That'd be awesome as well. This episode is brought to you by Entheozen. Back in 2014, it was started by Caitlin Thompson, who is a neurobiologist. She was struggling with her own kind of depression and anxiety, and so she wanted to find healthy ways to kind of cope, deal, and manage with those things. All the products at EntheoZen are designed for promoting optimal brain health as well as your overall happiness. All the ingredients contain premium active forms of vitamin and minerals that are there to ensure bioavailability and maximum absorption. Entheozen also offers educational outreach workshops and programs that are designed to empower people to achieve and sustain mental wellness. A lot of what they do at Entheozen is finding that balance between your gut health and your overall health. So if you've never heard about the idea or concept that your gut has all these enzymes and organisms and bacteria that live, breathe, and really affect so many different areas of your life, do some research. Go to entheozen.com purchase some of their products, and then get healthy. They have several products. Once again, they're all just designed to help promoting that optimal <clears throat> that optimal brain health. Transend, Weekend Warrior, Revive, all of them can be purchased through their website or at Amazon. And regardless of where you purchase them, be sure to enter the promo code ENERGYIS, and that'll save you some dough, save you some moolah, some cash when you uh, purchase. But go check them out, entheozen.com. That's E-N-T-H-E-O-Zen.com.
So on today's episode, episode 90, back at it with the podcast, my dear, sweet, sweet friend, Jason Spencer. Jason and I started our careers back in the day in law enforcement. He was uh, he was already a cop when I started, but we worked closely hand in hand throughout our entire career, or throughout my entire career, I should say. Jason's still a cop, but very sweet, dear guy. Um, absolutely love him. So I wanted to bring him on and dive in a little bit more for people that basically I want people to look at police officers and law enforcement in a different light and in a different way and humanize it in some shape or form. Jason's a father of two. He's got two beautiful kids. He's married um, and he's a cop. You know, at the end of the day, he's got a job that he goes out and does and he's very passionate about it. He's very good at it. Jason's a hell of a cop. And I would, I just want people to hear what it's like to not only be a police officer, but some of the things that they deal with, the ways that they're affected by it. And the reality is, hopefully, hopefully we can change some perspectives out there in regards to law enforcement, help in some small way, even if it's just you, the listener, that kind of looks at cops differently as you're moving around and driving around, maybe next time you get pulled over. But it's a fun episode. Jason and I sat down and chatted about, yeah, we chatted about cop stuff, but we talked about a lot of different things about, you know, raising families, being men, all those kind of things. But you can go follow Jason. He's got a new thing that he's doing. He's uh, very passionate about getting people, getting men back to that space of kind of core values and what's important. So go check him out on Instagram at Ravis underscore MVMT. That's Ravis, R-A-V-U-S, which apparently I didn't know this. He explains it in the episode, but that's Latin for bear or for grizzly bear, which is kind of badass. But Ravis underscore movement, M-V-M-T. So go find him, go check him out. And of course, we got links for it in the show notes. And now everybody get to sit back and relax and enjoy this wonderful episode with my dear friend, Jason Spencer. Here we go. You're listening to the Energy is Love podcast. Energy is love. The Energy is the Love podcast. The Energy is Love podcast. Energy is love. The Energy is Love podcast. The podcast for the universe. The Energy is Love podcast. That's good. <laughs> Ready. This is it. So the closer you get to the mic, maybe about a fist length away, better off we'll be. Yeah, yeah, don't don't don't, uh, <laughs> don't don't mouth it. Yeah, don't mouth it. But uh, thank you, man. No problem. I appreciate it. Yeah, I was trying to think, um, like when the fuck the last time we even hung out for any significant amount of time or spent any time together. Dude, it's probably been over a year. Yeah, been a really long time. Yeah, that sucks. <laughs> it does suck. Probably Which, probably the last time we. Out on my deck, we just hung out. Yeah. But that's, dude, that's been, yeah, it's been over a year. It's shitty how um, quickly life kind of goes and gets away from you. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, family, life, jobs, just get caught up in the moment and next thing you know, it's all, it's all past. Yeah. Your boys are getting big too, I noticed. Yeah, getting huge. How old is, tell me your youngest, well, you don't have to tell me his name, but how old is your youngest? He just turned two and my oldest is six. Yeah. So. See, that's nuts. Yeah. I hate, I hate how fast time goes, but then I also, like, do you remember growing up when you were a kid and time just dragged? Yeah. 
like everything took forever and didn't matter what you were doing. It just went on and on and on and on and on. But now as an adult, it just seems like you can never slow it down. Yeah. It's, it's crazy how fast these kids grow up. Yeah. So <clears throat> I talked to you about coming on the podcast and obviously first off you're Jason Spencer. So I'm sure we'll, we'll go through all that when I do like the intro and everything. So people know who the hell it is that's talking, <laughs> but, um, Sounds good. Let's give them a little bit of background. So at least they have an understanding of, um, we met obviously when, um, we started working together Yeah, way back in the day. Six years ago. Is that how long ago it was? Yeah. How long have you been in? Seven, almost seven and a half. Seven so and a half years. Probably about six years ago is when we met. Yeah. And then did we get on a crew immediately? Do you remember? I think so. Or you trained with my crew i think mm -hmm. and worked a lot with with me and my crew and then i think we eventually got separated <laughs> <laughs> pretty shortly after that we got broken up and had to part ways i miss those days though it's fun it was fun yeah so it was good times so give everybody a little bit about um just real brief synopsis of your background not necessarily in law enforcement but kind of leading up to that point when you started your career? So just my adult life? Sure. Um, after high school, I... Turn towards the mic for me. Yeah. After high school, I started um, getting into personal training. Did that for, geez, probably four to five years. Kind of figured out it wasn't the path that I really wanted to take. So in the back of my head, I always had this dream of bec becoming a police officer. So I just kind of made the steps to make that happen and I've never looked back. So since I've been 25, I, I've been a police officer and now I'm 33. So still just chugging along at it. What was, uh, cause people used to ask me that all the time. Like, why did I want to be a cop or was it always a lifelong dream or something like that? And for me, it wasn't for me, it was kind of like, do you know what I mean? I never really aspired to it. I just fell into it in a sense in a way. Yeah. But, um, so for me, it, I've told you this story before, I'm sure, but for me growing up, I, I never had the best childhood. Um, my real dad um, was heavily into narcotics and, and dope and abused my mother a lot physically. And my whole um, childhood up until about five years old, six years old was, was that lifestyle, living, living in apartments or jumping from house to house, watching my dad deal dope to his friends, things like that. So as I got older, I, uh, I never wanted my kids, especially, or any other kid to have to live that life. And I always tell people the starfish story. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but go ahead and tell it basically in short, it's, it's this, um, a little boy and his grandfather were walking along a beach and it was, it was kind of in the evening and all these starfish washed up onto shore, like just hundreds and thousands of these starfish. And this little boy started running along the, the shore and just throwing starfish after starfish after starfish back in the ocean. And he, uh, he gets tired and his grandpa goes, Hey, it's okay. You can't, you can't save all of them. And the little boy says to his grandpa, he goes, but think about the ones I do save, what it means to them. And that's kind of how we, I've always thought about law enforcement. I know we can't help everybody. We can't save everybody, but the ones that we can help are the ones that we do affect. I'm sure it means the world to them down the, down the line, or at least I hope it does. 
and that's kind of always the philosophy that I uh, I take into my job. So, did you ever have any like as a kid growing up and things like that? Did you ever have any um, interaction that stood out or something that kind of do you know what I mean? You go back and can remember an experience with a cop or something like that that stood out in a positive way that made an impact on you or. No, I mean, my uncle, um, on my real dad's side of the family, he was, he was a cop. He's, he still is a police officer, but I just always remembered looking up to him. You know, the few times I'd see him when I was younger, I'd always remember thinking how cool that was and, and things like that. And it's just, I don't know why I wanted to do it. It's just always something that was, has been a part of me and always something that was in the back of my head growing up that, Hey, this is what I'm going to do. And, uh, as we get older and, you know, through high school and things like that, like, oh, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. And just always in the back of my head, it was always just kind of nagging at me that, that that's what I needed to do or that's what I wanted to do. And so I finally, uh, I finally just went after it and did it. So are you happy with that choice? <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> 90% of the times, yes. <laughs> it's way different than you thought, right? I think anybody that gets into it kind of has that realization at some point. Yeah, it's 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 definitely not always chasing bad guys. There's a lot of things that go into it that uh, that people don't see. There's, there's a ton of training to stay up on your training. And then there's just paperwork after paperwork after paperwork. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. So. One of the things that I want to talk about... <clears throat> Because I haven't ever had, oh God, I'm trying to think now. I've never spoken to anybody else who was in law enforcement at some point. Nobody, I've never had a cop on the show before. Um, I've talked about it a lot throughout the episodes when, you know, it comes up and we talk about it from my perspective and my viewpoint. One of the things that I think is vastly misunderstood is the realities of what it's really like, and then also the perception of what it's like. So when you look at it from, you know, either the things that we see in the media or people's perceptions, even just, you know, like your, like your wife, for example, and the people in your family and the people who think, who know you very well, but really have no fucking idea of what you really do and what it's really like. And so what do you think is one of the biggest misconceptions about being a cop that people uh, may not know? I think our families get it, but I think the biggest misconception is turn towards the mic. Yeah, that we that we uh, that we are out just to arrest or, or meet a quota, and it's just simply not true. I th- I think people get that so wrong. I mean, I, I wish people could spend just a day with the with the with the guys and the girls I work with because they are some of the best people I've ever met in my entire life, like hands down across the board. Um, and I'm not just talking about in their jobs. I'm talking about family life and personal life. These are some of the best people I have ever had the chance to get to know. And and, and I don't think the public will ever get a chance to see that, unfortunately. So, Yeah, they definitely don't see the human side of people yeah. when they're a cop. What else is there you think? Like, I, th- I think for me personally, um, I think that's a big thing too, where they tend to stereotype and generalize everybody in law enforcement. And I think that the vast majority of people that are police officers across the country are those type of people, really, really, really good people um, trying to do the best that they can at a job that at times is impossible to be perfect at or succeed at across the board. Right. Right. Another thing that, that people, I think, tend to, to forget or 
or or judge officers on is that we're, that we're human, mm-hmm. and as humans we make mistakes. Um, and nobody's going to be perfect in, in in this world, and and unfortunately, when we make a mistake as a, as a, as an officer, um, those mistakes are broadcasted everywhere nowadays on social media, and and unfortunately, even if those that that officer or that person is a good person, and they make a mistake or they slip up or 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 something happens, it's that one action that they are judged upon, not the thousands of other actions that have led up to that, and and I think that's something that we that we as just people need to take into consideration. So. Yeah. It's hard though. I mean, I watch stuff. I don't I used to watch way more stuff um online and everything that would come out and everything like that. And it's been like 2 years since I've been a cop. And it's funny how I still have the mentality, I still have the realization, the understanding of everything that takes place and everything that goes on and those split second decisions that have to be made. But then I still have like this part of me, like the part that can really play into that, uh, uh, that, that narrative that gets pushed out there. Right. Yeah. And the ideas that people, uh, propagate in regards to cops being shitty cops and, you know, profiling people and all these kind of different things. And so it's challenging even for me. Yeah. And it's, and it's hard too, because we may see, um, we may see the whole video, but we don't know what what happened uh, days or interactions before that. Um, a lot of the people I deal with, I deal with on a continuing basis. I probably deal with the same 300 people over and over and over and over again. And then that one time that something can go wrong, it's it's hard to see. It's hard to see that that side of it when when we as officers get to know these people, these, the, the, the public that we deal with on a, on a regular basis. I mean, most people know me by name and I know them by name. Um, it just depends on, on what happened that day and, and, and the interactions that we have with those people that in a split second, things can go wrong. So there's a lot to play into it. I think a lot of it's timing. Yeah. <laughs> Right. For sure. <laughs> like sometimes I used to feel that sometimes those stars would align just perfectly where, like you said, you deal with the same people over and over and over again, but for whatever reason you, um, they slipped up in that split second or in that moment where you just happened to be there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and temperaments, how, how you are that day and how they're, they are that day. And, and there's just so much that plays into a situation that can go wrong very fast. And then those split second decisions that, that I think a lot of people in the public just don't understand. Mm-hmm. So, well, tell me like, what's one of them? Cause I know what the fuck you're talking about, but the people out there have no idea what the hell you're talking about. So how do you want me to phrase this? I don't know. However you want, like, like what are some of those decisions that have to be made instantaneously almost? Right. Okay. So let's just take basic arresting somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be, we'll take, we'll take a small crime. That's a nonviolent crime. So we'll take a shoplifting. Somebody shoplifts, um, from a store. Um, they end up having warrants or whatever, end up having some dope on them, whatever. We, we make a decision that instead of a citation, they probably should go to jail in that moment that you say, okay, they're going to jail. I don't know what that that individual is thinking. I don't know their mindset. 
at first they're thinking, oh, I'm just going to get a citation for shoplifting or whatever. And then you tell them that they're under arrest. In that split second decision, everybody has a choice to make. However, it is very fast and it is very uncontrolled because you don't know what's going to happen. I've had tons of things where I've I've went to arrest somebody on something small or or something that may may not be a big deal to to me, but for that person I'm arresting, it changes their world and they and they don't want to believe it and they don't want to deal with it. Mm-hmm. So in that split second decision, they they react in a way that I may not be comfortable with or okay with, you know, turning into me or yelling at me or you know whatever it may be. Even though I've already said, Hey, you're, you're under arrest. Their reaction then to me may be violent or may be inappropriate for that, for that time. And in that second you have, you then as an officer, you have a decision to make, okay, do I let this person continue to yell and a chance to run, maybe hit me, or do I have to use a little bit more force to put handcuffs on them? And I think in those situations, that's where you see a lot of these videos of people violently yelling at these cops and and putting on handcuffs and it, and it gets into a situation that should have been handled so much more smoothly, but, but reaction time and those split second decisions that you as an officer and, and the individual make together, <clears throat> make the situation. Yeah. So I, I, I think that's probably the, the, one of the, one of the uh, simplest way to put it is that you don't, your reaction to their reaction makes the situation. And I think a lot of people just think, well, it's the cop's fault. The cop did this or the cop did that. But we 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 don't see or take the time to realize that that other person made made a choice in that in that reaction as well. Yeah, they definitely did. <laughs> I I mean it, it, that's kind of the the way I look at it is it's just it's hard. You just never know what people are thinking. Yeah. So and then you, I mean, because that's the always thing. That's always the thing too, right? Like we make a decision as a police officer. I'm going to arrest somebody, or whatever the case may be. I think a lot of times <clears throat> we have to, uh, or that decision has to be enforced, right? right? It's almost like you drew a line in the sand, and that's what has to happen because of whatever the circumstances may be. And then, like you said, you're reacting to whatever they do at that point. So you basically made a statement and then now you have to respond and react to however it goes, depending upon how they react. And that's the really challenging part. Yeah. And I think that's a lot what people don't really see as the public is, is that split second decision to on both ends. So, yeah. Do you think that, cause I think that cops are some of the, I think the ability to be a really, really good police officer, one of the like, not core things of it, but like one of the realities of it is you're just incredibly good at multitasking on like high levels where the ability to go through, um, and do so many different things at the exact same time. Yeah. I, I, yeah. That's exactly it. Multitasking under stress. Mm-hmm. How well does your body or, or do you function thinking and doing and reacting under stress? And I think that's what makes good cops, great cops, and, and, uh, holds that standard as, as far as what's going to happen in a lot of those situations where maybe a good cop doesn't act the way that he should under, 
or doesn't act the right way under that under that stressful situation. So yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I think multitasking is under stress is probably one of our greatest gifts that that police officers have. It's huge. Like, and I don't think that uh, like when you go through the academy, they don't have a class on multitasking. No, but the reality is that's exactly what you're doing. I remember um, Steph came out with me once for a ride along, and I go to pull somebody over. And I didn't even get the chance to pull him over. I flipped around and turned around on him and I knew who he was and I knew everything about him. He was one of those guys that we dealt with all the time. And so he wasn't technically running, but he was trying to ditch me through the neighborhood. And as we were, as I was flipping around and going after him, I was articulating to her like out loud everything that I was doing because not only was I, I mean, the list is endless, right? I'm monitoring the surroundings because I'm in a neighborhood. So I'm making sure that nobody, kids aren't running around. I'm not going to hurt anybody else in the process of trying to catch up to this guy. And I'm looking at road signs and addresses as well as thinking about the description of his vehicle and his license plate number and everything about him and where we're going and what we're doing. And then trying to get all of that information out over the radio so that everybody else is aware of what I'm doing and just the level of one little tiny interaction that was very, it was one of those that had the propensity to escalate. Like he could have, it could have turned into a full blown chase. It could have turned into any number of things and ended up turning into nothing. But, um, just in that small little interaction, this huge list, I mean, you go from like, you know, doing two things, driving and kind of scanning the surroundings and looking for things to suddenly doing 55 different things in split seconds. Right. (laughs) It, and that, I think that happens more time than not as we get, we get further into our career, we just kind of forget that we're doing those things. Mm-hmm. It just becomes second nature to us that, you know, and, and you'll hear it in, in, in newer officers' voices that the crackle on their voice and stuff like that, because they're trying to do so many things that, that certain motor functions like talking just kind of shut down because their, their body's focusing on 19 other things to do besides speaking mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's in, it, it is interesting to see that that evolution as as newer officers get better and and you know even even five six year officers get better it, you know it's, it's it's there's definitely an evolution to to becoming a police officer and surviving in this career it, and a huge part of that is that multitasking can you think of anything else like I know I've never had any other job or career or fucking anything else in life where um, it was even remotely close to that level of stuff. And I'm sure that like in the military, they have, it's the same type of experiences and concepts and things that they have to, you know, multitasking on those really high stressful situations. But I can't think of anything in like regular everyday life that's even remotely close. No, I mean, we look at the medical field and, 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 uh, how I, how I look at the difference between our, between the two careers, because you think about an ER situation where somebody comes in with a, a stab wound or, or a bullet hole and, and, and things like that. And they're under those highs, they're, they're under the exact same thing. They're under a high stress situation where, okay, we got to do this, 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 and this, and they're trying to save a life. The, the difference I think in, in law enforcement and the medical field, as far as that high level of multitasking, because I, I do believe that they're the same. Mm-hmm. Is that um, they're in their environment? They're in a controlled environment where they have access and they get to dictate what happens. 
Um, we, we simply do not. Um, and I think that's the main difference. And in in the military, the same way, I don't, they don't get to dictate they're in somebody else's, somebody else's place, you know, (laughs) they're not in their home. So I think that's the main difference. I think there are jobs that have a high level of multitasking, but the, the difference is they have the convenience of being in a controlled environment where we don't. Yeah. So. And it's that edge of like, um, I mean, it's one thing to be in a, in an, a, in an emergency room working on somebody in an incredibly stressful situation, but almost never, I mean, we have to say almost never, cause there could be a situation where your life could be put in danger, but police officers having that aspect present all the time right. throughout everything that they do, all interaction, stressful or not, that one thought in the back of your mind, like any point I could be threatened with my life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the environment is just, it's so unique. It's so unique because we're, you never know what, what street corner you're going to turn down that, that could cause some problems or what house you're going to walk into. And, and it's just the environment just plays such a huge difference in, in, are multitasking versus other jobs that have that same high level stress. Yeah. <laughs> the shit that we're going to talk about, um, you, you talk as much about whatever it is that you feel comfortable talking about, and then you don't have to with anything, uh, that you don't want to talk about. Okay. So for me personally, I feel like I was changed immensely by my time as a police officer, both in positive ways and in negative ways. I feel like after I left and everything played out the way that it did and, you know, two years now, um, I feel like I definitely walked away from it with post-traumatic stress and felt the effects of those, um, you know, the more awareness that I brought to it and the more kind of looking at myself and my, my life and my experiences and everything like that, it made perfect sense to me that that's exactly, not exactly, but, but that's what I dealt with. And dealt with it during my time as a police officer as well as after the fact. And I still continue to deal with it. So what I want to ask you is give me some of the things that you can look at and see um, how being a cop has changed you. But first off, in in a positive way, like what are some of the things that you can look at and realize after a career of almost eight years where you have been changed in in a positive manner? I think one of the things that that i find in a positive way is my ability to talk to almost anybody i don't i don't have that issue i don't i don't know if i ever necessarily did in 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 growing up up until this point but i find it i i enjoy talking to people i enjoy getting to know people and I, being a cop has helped so much in, in getting to know so many more people that i would never have the opportunity of getting to know so I think that's one of the best positive things is is being able to talk to people and get to know people that I just simply wouldn't have had the opportunity to do um, without my career. Um, and just the the uh, the amount of trust that you have put in people, um, I think that's one of the most positive things I have is is the is the trust and or the the family that I've gained from being in law enforcement. Um, that's probably a huge positive thing from it. So, can you think of anything else like more on like a? Because uh, those are great things. Not that yeah. I'm minimizing. I, I agree with you. I think that ability to talk to anybody is huge, yeah. and that's one thing that I realized after the fact. That's one thing I've realized with this fucking podcast is like 
I'm totally capable of just sitting down and having a conversation and talking to anybody. Because as a cop, you have to be able to knock on whatever door it is or pull over whoever it is, and you're going to have to talk to them. Like, there's not another option. I think the other positive, and I don't know, this could be a negative depending on how you look at it, but for (laughs) me, it's a positive, is you just, I don't know, you're just unafraid. I mean, everybody gets scared. I'm Mm -hmm. not saying that I don't get scared in situations, but my ability to be afraid of situations or afraid of people um, it's greatly minimized. I, I, you, you see the worst of the worst on people's days that nobody wants to see people. And it, it kind of just changes you in that way that I've, I've done this, this, and this, or I've seen this, this, and this. And you realize that humans are humans and that you don't need to be, I think so many people are afraid of other people. And I think as a police officer, you learn that that doesn't need to be that way. I mean, I'm not saying you need to be a bully, but you simply do not need to be scared. And yeah. I think there's so many people in this day and age that, 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 uh, look at other people differently. Well, they're afraid of like confrontation, even on the smallest of levels. Right. Yeah. Like even just walking next door and knocking on your neighbor's <gasps> door and talking to them about some silly fucking issue that you have with your neighbor. Yeah. People want to avoid even those small little tiny confrontations and interactions with people. Yeah, and I, I think that's, it's it's silly to say this, but I mean, I, I agree with you. Confrontation, people don't, they don't want it. They don't, and, and confrontation doesn't need to be a bad thing. Confronting somebody doesn't always have to be a negative experience. It can be a positive one. You just have to, it depends on how you go into that confrontation and how you talk to those people and how you treat people. So um, I, I mean, I totally agree with you. I think that so many people are just afraid of the smallest, smallest confrontation when it doesn't need to be a negative thing. Yeah. Do you ever find yourself avoiding confrontation in your personal life in any way, shape or form? No. You don't think so? <laughs> Maybe with my wife, but that's it. <laughs> no. I, I, I th- Like I said, I, I don't think confrontation needs to be a it doesn't need to be a negative thing. You can, you can confront somebody and have it be positive. It just, so I'm not scared of it. I'm not, I don't, I don't try and avoid it. Yeah. Sometimes I look forward to it. (laughs) (laughs) So, so now, so then now the other end of the spectrum, what are some of the, um, what are some of the things that you've experienced that you feel have, and when I say that they have, um, because I don't think the things that I experienced were a detriment. Did I, you know, did they fuck me up in some way, shape or form? Yes. Did they cause me to have issues in my life? Uh, Absolutely. But I personally don't think that those are, like I said, I don't think that's a negative. I think that's just, that's just some other aspect that we kind of have to learn to process and deal with. But what are some of the things that you feel like you've had that have fucked you up in some way, shape or form? No, kids, man. (laughs) It's always kids. Um. I don't, I mean, we can go back to what you think the general public doesn't see in police officers. One thing I don't think you'll ever see or too many people will see is, um, believe it or not, I've shed so many tears for kids that I have no idea who they are. Um, so many. I think that's the, the one, and I think any officer in this world can agree with me that, that, 
when it comes to kids, it's a whole different game. It's a whole different, it's a whole different job. And, uh, you know, I, 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 uh, I, I think that affects everybody. I, I don't know how it couldn't. So dealing with kids, it's definitely probably the hardest part of the job. So on, on any level from having to remove them from a bad house to, to child deaths. I mean, there's no, there's uh there's no easy way to deal with it. So, yeah, I, I was very um, surprised at the, uh, the level of death that you encounter. Do you know what I mean? That yeah. was something that I didn't even realize uh, going in and was kind of a shock to me as my career progressed and as things got going, like just how much death you're surrounded by. And I don't think people understand that. I think they always assume that, you know, the death that cops are surrounded by are when they're shooting people or being shot at or, do you know what I mean, all the violent acts that take place. And that's very much there. But also just the accidents or the, you know, the, uh, the unplanned death or the suicide or even just the uh, old lady that is on hospice that eventually passes away in their family's living room. Yeah. That level of death that is surrounding cops on a very regular, regular basis. I don't think anybody really grasps or understands. Yeah. I mean, our, our patrol officers, um, gosh, they probably at least, at least three, maybe four times a, a, a month are seeing a dead body. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's all of them. I think, I mean, that's across, that's probably across the board. I think a huge majority of it, like you said, it, it's not just, it's not just a shooting or anything like that. It's, it's suicides. It's, it's, the the elderly it's accidents it's stuff like that but there's so much death out there that the uh the general public doesn't see mm-hmm. so did you realize that ahead of time or was that a shock kind of as well i kind of i mean i felt like i was a little bit lucky because when i first started it um obviously it, it wasn't long you know a couple days in that i saw my first dead body and you know, that's, that's a whole different experience. <laughs> um, and, and, and that's something that will never, I don't think for me, at least I'll, I remember it like it was yesterday. Yeah. And, and I think I'll always remember, um, your first seeing your first dead body. But after my first one, it, I kind of eased into it. I didn't see a lot at, at the beginning. Um, and then, and then there are, there are weeks or there are months that you see three, four five. And, and so, you know, I don't think you realize, <laughs> you don't realize that when you start that, that, oh, this is happening. Um, and I, th- and I think another thing that, that kind of correlates with that is you don't realize how many people that you actually try and save that are that close to death from either attempting suicide or, or that are just sick, ha- heart attacks. And, um, we do CPR so much. <laughs> yeah, I had no idea. I didn't realize that either as well. So so on both ends, from seeing the death to trying to stop death, <laughs> um, I didn't realize how much of that would be incorporated into my job. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, I didn't either. Like I grew up uh, like in Boy Scouts and stuff like that. And my mom actually used to be, um, she would train and certify people in CPR. So from like a very early age, I knew how to do CPR but I'd never had any opportunity in my life where it ever came up where I actually had to fucking do it until I was a cop. And then I remember the first time that I did CPR, I don't remember who it was on or, um, 
but I don't even remember the circumstances. But what I remember about doing it the first time was like thinking I was doing it right and then having a fucking paramedic show me like how to actually fucking do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you've never done CVR before, um, I hope you that you never have to, first of all. Yeah. Um, but if you do have to, um, you're going to be a little bit scared and it's going to it's going to scare the crap out of you. It will scare the shit out of you. The first time you have to crack somebody's ribs to the point of breaking to get that depth that you need um, is a scary part. And then and then after that, it's easy. But but that first initial push or that those first couple pushes, uh, it's going to scare you. Yeah. Like it's harder and faster than I ever thought that it would that yeah. it would be or that it would take. Yeah. It's a lot more uh, it's a lot more uh, violent than than people think. <laughs> Um, it's definitely not like shows on no. TV. So. No, so much of being a cop isn't like the shows on TV. <laughs> and CPR is one of them. Yeah. So what else? Like, go deep inside of yourself and think about how the job has changed you. Um, uh, I'm honoring. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it definitely, um, when you let's go back to when I first started. And I think you may agree with me on this. So when you first start and, and you're maybe going through FTO or off FTO, um, that's field training off. Well, you're, you're going through, we call it FTO, but it's, it's basically your training. It's your first couple months, um, as a cop Yeah, that you have a field training officer with you and, and working with you. So as you're going through that and, and you're off duty, uh, <laughs> I just remember thinking that everybody was going to kill me. <laughs> I remember going to um, a concert downtown, one of the free concerts that, that they have at the park. And I just remember being at such high anxiety because there were so many people around me and I couldn't watch everybody. Mm-hmm. And I just, rem- I, I still, and I, and I remember my wife now, um, she was my girlfriend at the time, but my my wife uh, tell me like, "What are you like? What's wrong with you?" <laughs> because I wasn't, I wasn't me at that time. Like, I didn't know, I didn't know how to switch it off. Like, it wasn't a natural thing, like it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, I was always at that that alert, ready. All right, what's going to happen today? And and so for the longest time, I, I I think it takes a new officer probably at least six months to learn how to adjust to that that period. And I don't know, maybe I'm the only one that went through it, but I doubt it. it, you know, going into restaurants and thinking that somebody's going to rob the place or, you know, things like that. So, um, it, it definitely, there was a, there was kind of a learning curve for, for your personality as far as, okay, it's okay to shut that down. You don't need to be in cop mode all the time. Yeah. Um, and by cop mode, I don't, I don't mean we're out trying to look for, just always being at that alert ready anything can happen and i and i need to react to that um so there's definitely some a learning curve to that as far as your personality goes <laughs> i think even when you're on duty yeah like i remember spending a lot of time being very uh same thing like even on duty working being very nervous and very you know a traffic stop for a very long time was something that caused me a high level of stress yeah not just because I was concerned about my safety, but like, you know, I, I wanted it all to go smoothly. I didn't want to fuck anything up. And then at the end of the day, I, I wanted to make sure that everybody was safe. Yeah. And it's just, it's just funny at the beginning, how, how anxious you are, like all the time, as far as just your situation, your, your situational awareness. 
and then you know you get a couple years in and and that kind of eases in and then you get past five years and you're just like ah whatever (laughs) (laughs) but but as far as your personality goes um you know it definitely changes the the job there's no way it can't not change you i haven't met a cop that it that that this job doesn't change their personality at least a little bit Mm -hmm. and i think that comes from dealing with so many people and talking to so many people um that you're just going to learn to 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 evolve as far as that goes i mean people live in a bubble (laughs) and no very rarely do they leave that bubble and so everything is is fine and and life's good and nothing's going to happen and point a to point b is work and then as a police officer it's not like that at all you don't have there's no bubble that you can live inside (laughs) of and uh that that definitely i think changes your personality so do you think oh because one of the things that i've thought about a lot is i don't think that there's at least i wasn't ever aware or um knew of anything or knew of any department or agency out there that really does anything to help officers mitigate some of the stress and the trauma that they experience in a very real practical way. I think they have kind of band-aid fixes and obligatory. We have to have something marked in this checkbox in order to, you know, liability issues coming from that standpoint. But do you, do you think enough is being done to help officers experience and deal with and cope and manage in a healthy way with all the uh, trauma that they experience? Um, Yes and no. I'll I'll say this. Um, Just like with anything, there's a huge learning curve. And I think, um, especially since you've kind of gotten out of law enforcement, there's there's a lot bigger push um, for officers to to, um, get the help if they need it. Um, I know it's there if I need it. Um, Is it is it talked about? No. Is it discussed on a regular basis? No. Uh, is something set up if we need it? Yes. Um, but uh, so there, so it's kind of give and take. I know it's there if I need it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not it's not talked about. It's not something that we we openly discuss maybe once a year um, in in training. I think that's it's probably about the maximum that it's openly discussed. Yeah. Um, you'll, you'll go to some other trainings where you might, you know, people will talk about it and stuff like that, but it's not, it's not something that's consistently talked about. Um, and I don't know if, if that's a good thing or if that's a bad thing, I, I, you know, um, to me, I know the help is there if I need it. Um, and in fact, one of the last, one of the last deaths that I personally witnessed, um, I won't go into details about it, but it was it wasn't. It was a graphic death um, that I personally witnessed. They they brought in people for us to talk to. Mm-hmm. With everybody involved, you know, we, we kind of debriefed and we talked about the situation. And and, and I, I greatly appreciated that because it, it does help. So I think it's becoming more and more a thing that it, on our operational standards, it just happens. Um, but on a personal level, I, I it's, it doesn't happen that often. Do you think it should be mandatory? Like, think of it this way. Like, should it be like every month, every three months where 
officers are required um, to go and speak with somebody or to have some sort of process set up where it's not a matter of it's there if you need it, but we're going to kind of force you in a sense to step into that space because everybody needs it on some level. I don't think it'd be a bad thing. Um, and there are some positions in, in our department where that is mandatory. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the guys that have to do with do the, the, the internet investigations with children, that's, that's a mandatory thing. And that's, I think that's a great thing because that's a whole different level of trauma than what we've been talking about. Yeah. Um, so I think it's there on some levels. Um, do I think it would be a good thing? I, th- I think so. I mean, I don't think it would hurt. Um, I just, I just don't know how it would, how it would happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, with, yeah. with everything else that we have to do on a daily basis, I don't know. I don't know how to readily make that available for the people. So what do you do like in your own personal life and experience? What do you do to try to cope and manage with all the shit that you have to experience? Just talk to people. I just, I'm pretty open book about what happens in my daily life. Um, if I do things that are stressful, I, I definitely vent. Um, working out helps a ton. That I, I think so many officers don't take enough advantage of that. Going out for a good run or, or lifting, I, I think that is a huge stress relief. Um, so that those are probably my two biggest outlets is just talking to people, just getting it getting it out there. Mm-hmm. And then there are days that you're not okay, and that's fine, as long as people know. So as long as you don't keep that bottled up, I think that's the main part. <clears throat> yeah. So there's there's going to be days that life's not okay. It's just it's just if you're open enough to admit that and and seek the help that you need. So, so I have one other question about <laughs> cop shit, and okay. then we can transition and talk about other stuff because I'm sure there's people listening. They're like, really, like fucking more shit about <laughs> cops. But what I want to do is I want you and I to paint a perfect world in regards to how we <clears throat> train and prepare police officers, starting all the way from the guy that walks in off the street and fills out an application and wants to be a cop. Because I think that the training in the beginning to become a police officer is like, it's probably like, in my opinion, maybe like 30% there, 40% there. And the reality is there's a lot that isn't happening. And so let's paint that perfect picture of what could, what, what would, you know, the new guy, like, what would it look like? Because the fact is, I think, and I'm sure you probably agree with me, like, there's a lot of people that are cops all over the world that shouldn't be cops. Yeah, absolutely. The job's not for everybody. Yeah. And that's okay. And there's nothing wrong with that. They're just not suited for that specific job. Right. So I think that's one of the first things is we have to figure out a way, some sort of like litmus test to put people through and see. And they do have testing like that. I mean, we have to take a PT and psych tests and all this kind of shit. But I don't think that it really gets to the core of whether or not this person can be a police officer. And and to be honest, I don't I don't know if you can right off the bat because this whole, this whole conversation that we've been having about how it changes you... Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think there are plenty of good people that start out their career that now probably shouldn't be a cop. You know, three, four, five years in. I don't know how, you know. Um, and that's because they can't 
they can't physically handle the stuff that we've been talking about. And that's, and like you said, that's okay. Mm-hmm. That's, that's totally okay. Um, it, 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 there's nothing wrong with those people. It's just simply that their level of stress tolerance isn't to the point that, that it, it needs to be, to be a, a functioning good police officer. Um, and I, maybe not even stress, just their, their tolerance ability for that, that line of work. Um, it's a, it's a very unique line of work that I don't think a lot of people understand. Um, yeah. so I think as far as training goes in the beginning, I, th- I think there are more things that could be done as far as, um, they're so focused on your physical fitness. They want you, they want you very physically fit. We, in the Academy, you run every day, you mm-hmm. work out every day. Um, and then they, 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 they hammer you on how to arrest somebody, the proper techniques on how to arrest somebody, which changes if you're a cop changes on a yearly basis yeah um they spend so much time on on certain things that i do think they lack in the ability to teach you how to just be be more human and i think that's something that is learned from the job um and i don't and i don't know the answer on how to teach that you know i don't know you know, if they bring in people that can help role play those situations better or, or, or what it may be, but, um, just that human factor that comes into law enforcement. I think that so many people, you know, miss out on, I think so many new cops are like black and white. They broke the law. They're going to jail. Yeah. And there's, I was certainly that way. Um, when I started but there's an evolution that you see that there's, everybody's human and everybody makes mistakes, including us. And every situation is different and not everybody needs to go to jail. (laughs) So I don't know. I don't know the correct answer, um, as far as how to get that training in the beginning, but I definitely think that's a huge, one of our biggest faults as police officers in the beginning, we think everything is just so black and white. If they break the law, they're going to jail. And it's certainly not that way. Yeah, there's not really a, I think it was a great fucking question in my head, but the reality is like, how the fuck would you ever create or come up with some, because I agree with you, I think a lot of times it's experience, right? Somebody may not have a really good sense of whether or not they're, not only is this job for me, but also from an outside perspective, look, you're really good in these areas, but you can't put all the pieces together. So sorry, like three months down the road, six months down the road you're done. Like you're not going to be a police officer and that's for everybody's benefit, yeah. right? For that person is in an, in an individual basis. And then also for everybody around them. Yeah. I just, I don't know if, I don't know if there's a right answer. I don't know how to, I don't know how to weed out the bad from the beginning. I don't, I don't know if we can, um, if we could, we could do it with every, every professional across the board. I mean, mm-hmm. not just with law enforcement, but if there was a way to, to, see if people fit certain categories as far as what they're meant to do in life or what they want to do. I think that would be across the board, not just in in law enforcement. So I, you know, I think it just, there's always that human element that's going to come into effect. So what's one thing, if you could magically change it about law enforcement, what would it be? Jeez, I don't know. Change about law enforcement. Yeah. Just like one thing, like suddenly this is, the new norm moving forward or this aspect of the job or 
society or whatever we're changing this can't get rid of paperwork does that <laughs> does that count uh, no typing reports doesn't count no you still gotta type shit up uh, i don't know i don't know what i would change because i i i love this i love what i do i i really do um there's not a day that or a week that goes by that if i'm off that i don't miss being at work um so i don't know what i change i i honestly don't um probably just the ability for people to realize that we're good people i mean a majority of us are good people i'm not saying all of us but a huge i'm going to say 98 percent of law enforcement out there are good people and it's that two percent that that give us that perception so yeah that everybody focuses on we yeah. could flip that we'd flip that like we just change society's perspective so it goes from one end of the spectrum to the other yeah i just and, and i think uh, i'm not saying society in general because that's grouping them like like people group us but there's a huge support factor for us and, and the ones that that are out there supporting us it, it i can't tell you how much it does mean to law enforcement to have that that support it it means the world to us so thank you guys okay man i think that's enough about being fucking cops okay we're done so i want to ask you too because recently i saw you doing shit on instagram oh gosh yeah so you gotta tell me about it and the purpose and the meaning and everything that you're uh, wanting to do with that okay so it goes back to let's talk about society for a minute um I think as society as a whole, we forgot our core values of what it is to be a man. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I think we're soft. I think I think men in this day and age are soft. We're so worried about stupid stuff like freaking shaving our arms and our backs. And like <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't understand it. Uh-huh. I, I, I meet people every like guys all the time, and they're good dudes. There's nothing wrong with it, but why are we conforming to a society where as men, we grow hair on our faces? Why are we shaving our arms? And I forget, I think we forget our core values of what a man is or what, what manhood is. I mean, I don't think if you look back to anybody's grandfather, they're, (laughs) they're not shaving their arms. I'll tell you that much. (laughs) They're just out doing work and they're just getting down to, to, to waking up, going to work, coming home, raising a family and, and, and being a good person and and i think that's that's what where i'm at in, in life is i think men men are soft nowadays <laughs> maybe that's from being a cop but i don't know so if men are soft then what's your like what's the, what's your goal what's my goal yeah i just i just want to get back to the core values so so what i mean by that is how do i lay this out so um we family comes first we need to take care of our families i I, you know forget everything else if if we can have a happy family life will fall into place in my opinion so i think we can come back to being better fathers better husbands better better people um and part of that is forgetting about all this nonsense that's nonsense that's going on and just focusing on yourself and i think everything else will fall into place um, I think we're so focused on other people's lives or whatever else is going on that we're forgetting what's going on behind us. Um, so, you know, if you're at the park with your kids, get off your cell phone, enjoy that 
10 minutes. Um, you know, in the beginning we talked about how fast kids grow up and, and losing that time sense. Um, get off your phones, get away from it for, for, for 10 minutes. It's going to mean the world to your kids. Um, you know, things like that, just small things, spend more time with them to, you know, shut off the TV and, and things like that. Go work in the yard or go for a hike. You know, technology is destroying us as a, as a culture. I feel like as a, as a, as a human race, I feel like we're losing sense of what we really are. So what, else? So what are you doing with that? What am I doing with that? So, so tell me what it's called. It's, it's Ravus. It's, it's Latin for grizzly. Um, basically it's, it's, it's just a bunch of inspirational quotes in the beginning. And eventually is, as I get my, the Instagram pages, Ravus underscore and it's movement, but it's MVMT. Um, in the beginning, I want to grow followers that, that appreciate what the core values or, or the quotes of manhood and just kind of inspirational stuff in the beginning. And if I can get that following or, or people that, that agree with that, um, you know, to a certain amount of followers, I'd, I'd like to start more, um, getting into either, you know, a clothing line or something like that, that kind of goes back to that heritage of, of madness and, and, you know, the old school way of life and, you know, stiff jeans and, <laughs> and flannels and stuff like that. And just, you know, get back to the roots, man. And then just kind of, we'll see where it takes me. I don't know. I don't really have a huge set up, set up plan right now, but I just, you know, like in your mind, big picture, what do you kind of see with it? I'd like to see a company form from it. Definitely. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't want to be a cop for forever. I'd like to see a company, you know, form from it, but I know it takes time and it takes effort and, and stuff like that. But you know what that company is, you know, definitely want some clothing line out there to kind of get the name out there and stuff like that. But, you know, um, from there, I'd like to see, you know, more products of outdoor stuff, um, and just going back to nature, getting back into enjoying your time outside and stuff like that. And I think that's kind of my, my core value is where I get, go back to is being out in nature and being part of life and not just being surrounded by it. Yeah. So we'll see where it takes me. <laughs> Are you having fun with it though? I am having fun. It, it, it's, it's definitely something that kind of been on my mind and something that I wanted to do and it's something I can do while I'm still doing my current job and it doesn't take up, you know, much time right now. And, but eventually as it grows, I, I definitely want to make it a full-time thing. So we'll see where it takes. So if you weren't a cop tomorrow, is that what you would want to kind of dive into? And that's your passion or. If I wasn't a cop tomorrow, I I definitely want to do something outdoors. Um, I, you know, whatever that may be being a, nature guide i don't know (laughs) uh i just love being outside man i love i enjoy it i love hiking i love fishing just getting out with the boys camping and and just kind of roughing it for a few days is my ideal of the best vacation out there so yeah it'd be something outside whatever that may be so so you're raising two boys yeah you're raising up two two small boys to eventually become men like, what do you want for them to, because the fact is like, we all turn out like our fathers in some way, shape or form, whether it's good or bad, we carry across those, 
those traits and those characteristics and those behaviors and those actions from our parents, undoubtedly, right? Even just by simply being raised or by not being raised by them, we have right. some of those things. So what are you trying to impart and what do you want your kids to 20 years from now um, have because you were their dad? I think more, more than anything, I just want them to, you know, whatever it is they want to do in life, I want them to chase chase those dreams. And that's one thing that my mom always supported me on is anything that I wanted to do, she supported as long as it was morally right. <laughs> um, she supported 100%. If I told her I wanted to be an astronaut, she was going to, she was going to let me chase those dreams and support me hundred percent. So, you know, growing up and, and raising boys, I, I want them to know that whatever they decide they want to do in life, they have my full support as long as it's, it's virtuous and, and, and honest and, and true, you know, they're, they're going to have 100% my full support and I'll, and I'll be their number one fan in, in whatever they choose to do. Um, what traits do they want from, from me? <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I, I think that if they, they have the ability to, to talk to people like I do, I think that'd be or probably be the best thing that they could take away from me. <laughs> certainly, not, so? certainly not my looks, <laughs> <laughs> but just the ability to kind of connect with people and talk with people. Yeah. What else? Like, have you ever thought about it? No, man. I've never had. I've See, never... your kids are young. So, like, my oldest fucking Gwen just went off to college. And that kicked me in the gut. Like, that was so shitty and so hard and so difficult. And her and I had conversations uh, leading up to that experience and things like that. And we got to take a road trip down south uh, and go look at a SUU. And it was just her and I. So, we got that nice long drive together. And it was a wonderful time together, but then it also was challenging at times because we had some really difficult conversations. Yeah. And having her leave, move out of the house, like kind of begin her next phase of her life as an adult um, really made me go back and look at all the ways I felt like I had not only failed as her father, but also the ways that I has, had succeeded. And so in her, I can see both positive things that I think she's taken away from me being her dad and also some of the negative things that she has because I was her or because I am her dad. And so for me, it's like, that's such a heavy, uh, like burden weight kind of, that's such a heavy thing that you have to carry as a parent. But yet how do you, like, if I could rewind and go back to when they were little, I feel like not necessarily, I would do a lot of things differently, but I would bring so much more awareness to the impact that I was having on them with my actions and my behaviors and the lessons that I was teaching them, even with, without actually teaching them anything. Does that make sense? Yeah. I just don't, I don't know. I just want them to be happy. Like yeah. that, I think when it comes down to it, I think that's every parent's dream is just, I, and, and, and my wife and I strive for it all the time is we want our boys to be happy. You know, we want them to feel loved. I, th I think that's a huge part of it is, is I want them to be able to, to talk to me if they need me and, and, and know that I'm there for them. So as far as traits go, I just, I don't know if there's traits, but I just, I want there to be certain emotions that they have when they think of dad, you know, um, you know, know that they were loved by me, know that, that, that I support them a hundred percent and know that I'll kick their ass if they screw up in life. <laughs> so it's good stuff, man. Yeah. 
what else anything else that's it that's it yeah well, i appreciate you i appreciate it it's been nice it's been nice catching up with you a little bit and i appreciate you sharing everything and hopefully people like at the end of the day i want to do a bunch of episodes with in the realm of law enforcement and all this type of stuff just simply so that people can realize how human uh, cops are and how much they have to deal with and hopefully in some little small way shape or form help shift and change their perspective next time they get pulled over or they're dealing with somebody out there yeah cool so, yeah so to give it uh ravis yeah ravis underscore movement yeah mvmt for cool. movement so yeah if you guys check it out if you guys like it support me if not cool <laughs> if, if not fuck off <laughs> <asshole. laughs> no it's it's cool so i appreciate everybody so, yeah bye. everybody go out and have a beautiful beautiful wonderful day i just remember thinking that everybody was going to kill me so many people are just afraid of the smallest smallest confrontation when it doesn't need to be a negative thing multitasking is under stress is probably one of our greatest gifts that the police officers have if you've never done CVR before, um, I hope you that you never have to, first of all. Yeah. Um, but if you do have to, it, it's going to scare the crap out of you. It <laughs> will scare the shit out of you. The first time you have to crack somebody's ribs to the point of breaking to get that depth that you need um, is a scary part. And then, and then after that, it's easy. Thanks for listening, folks. Thanks for tuning in. Remember to go share the podcast and tell people about it. We continue to grow and expand, and it blows my mind. I love it. It's amazing. Once again, thank you to our sponsor, EntheoZen. Go check them out, EntheoZen.com. Nutritional solutions for balancing the mind and body. And whether you purchase on their website or on Amazon, be sure to enter that promo code, ENERGYIS, and they'll save you some cash. Peace out.